that moment stuck with me for the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And so as people around me, I felt like God was answering the prayers that I was praying for myself, but in their lives, I had to step back and say, you know what, I'm happy for you. And I, and God helped me mean that. Help me really mean that I'm happy for somebody else because it's not about you. It's not your turn. We tell it to little kids. It's not your turn, right. but it's theirs. And so clap for them. And so what I've come to in these last five years is that who we are when it is not your turn is more important than who you will be when it is. Hmm. This wow. is what God has led me to. Quarantine and this new season of COVID has provided some space for people to reevaluate what's important to them and the type of life that they ideally want to pursue. But what kind of persons are we during the seasons of obscurity? When life seems to overlook our potential and others are progressing forward while we're not. Who are we when it's not our turn? This is the question that our guest today, Dr. Heather Thompson Day, answers in her upcoming book, It's Not Your Turn. Welcome back to Advent Next, a theological podcast curated for curious faith discussions. This week, we are talking with Dr. Heather Thompson Day, professor of communication at Colorado Christian University and co-founder of the online community, I'm That Wife. Today, we are going on a journey of exploring the road to her success, as well as the moments that seemed like failures and that point where she almost gave up two weeks before an incredible breakthrough. You can follow Dr. Heather Thompson Day on Facebook or Instagram at their online community at I'm That Wife, or follow her directly at Heather Thompson Day. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to find us at the handle at Advent Next. I'm your host, Kendra Arsenal, and this is Advent Next. Yeah, so I was raised, I always tell people I was kind of raised in a van. I, my dad was an evangelist for the Seventh-day Adventist church. And so my childhood consisted of just traveling around with him at every different church that he would speak in all over the world for most of my childhood. So I grew up very much, uh, in rooms where I, I, I always saw God emotionally and I recognized God emotionally from a very young age. Like I, I've been in rooms where you just see the Holy Spirit move over the entire room. And I think what I was missing for myself growing up in the church was believing in God logically. And what does that look like? And what academic research is there that kind of cooperates the scriptures and stuff like that? So I, I kind of fell into this academic path. Uh, it wasn't I don't remember being a kid and wanting to be a professor or anything. I wanted to be a writer. That's what I've always wanted to do. And as I just got in more into researching in my master's program, then I decided, you know, I really like this thing and I'm going to pursue a PhD. And what was your master's program in? So I've done, my bachelor's was in communication and journalism, because at that point I still thought I was going to be a journalist. And then I did a master's in communication with a cognate in psychology. And then I did my PhD in higher education with a cognate in communication. Mm. So I'm really passionate about communication. I'm super passionate about recognizing, deciding how we build relationships with other people. Mm. At the core of communication research is simply how do you connect? How do you build relationships with people? And I have always loved people. I'm fascinated by them, even people that I don't immediately get along with. I love trying to understand maybe what has made them say this thing that they just said. Is it ever really the words they just said or is there 
other layers, right, mm. that go into all of our interactions. Is this even about me? When you call me names or whatever rude thing you just said to me, is that about me or is that about you? Right. So I love that understanding of how communication and psychology work together. And so that's kind of how I've ended up teaching in communication and having a career in writing, which is something I've always wanted to do. Wow. All right. Do you consider yourself like an extrovert, introvert? Like, is that something that led you into the communication field as well? Or what are some of the biggest challenges? Because I love getting to know people. And I think there's always a little bit of my introversion side that's like, a little bit holding me back. I don't know if you've had those challenges or what your personality type is like. Let me tell you, Kendra, because I have students all the time that say, no, I'm fascinated by psychology. I love people. I'm just not extroverted. So I don't, I can't do communication. Mm. Communication is not about talking. It's about listening. And so this is a fundamental perception that so many people get wrong. And I think it's a great field for introverts because introverts are watching and noticing and listening. And if you listen, you can make a connection, mm. right? If you're always talking, you're, you're, you're not always going to be able to connect. But if you listen, you can connect. So mm. I consider myself an ambivert. I think I'm naturally yeah. perhaps introverted. And growing up, like I said, with my dad, always in different churches, I think I perform extroverted, if mm. that makes sense, yeah. right? I know how to be what somebody might want me to be in a, in a setting where I have to be on stage or church PKs know this, right? When right. you go to a different church and everybody is expecting something of you, I know how to step into that space, but I'm naturally probably the person that wants to be at home with my family reading books. Yeah. How did you like, okay. And I, I want to talk about your new project right now. Cause I think it's fascinating, but even just before we get there, you know, for people who are because I find myself in your story, um, I love writing. I've, I've been, been writing since I was a kid, but now I'm in kind of this MDiv program and I'm doing theology and there's a part of me that thinks, oh, maybe I'll do my PhD, but it feels like it takes away from what I want to be doing when it comes to writing or creating content. How did you find a balance where you could take the long journey into getting your PhD, but still feel passionate about some of the things that you're passionate about? Or did you feel like your degree really propelled your passions? Did you f ever feel like they were taking you down two different paths? And, and how did you manage that? I, I think all of the above, all of the above to what you just said. But that's why I was saying earlier about in my faith journey, research became really important to me, just understanding, hey, I don't, Faith is awesome and wonderful, but there is also evidence that corroborates the scriptures accounts of Jesus, right? So for me, when I can add knowledge to faith, it was powerful. So in the same way for me in my education journey, research changed my writing. When I became, and I, when I started research, I remember just getting back papers in grad school with just tons of red on it and just being like, this isn't for me. Even my master's thesis, I almost dropped out of grad school at like the end with my master's thesis because my feelings were so hurt when they kept marking up all my pages and saying, this isn't it, this isn't ready. And I was like, I, I was used to doing well with writing. So to be told that my writing wasn't good was devastating for me, but it's made me a better writer. Cause now I very rarely will just say things without having read two or three articles first. Right. And if there's something that pops up, you know, if something pops up in cultural news or world news, I, I'm the type of person that will take the time and read the articles before I make a tweet. 
it matters to me. And it, that's just part of what happens in the training of academia. And I really think this was God's path for me. I think it makes me just a better writer and communicator in the way that he wanted to use me in particular. I think it's so responsible too, right? Like if you're, we're going to have an opinion, it's so good to have an informed opinion. And I think that's kind of what the rigors of academia does, right? Like it, it checks you to say, did you check your sources? Where are you getting this from? Are you for sure, for sure, for sure? Um, so that's awesome. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and the best, worst part of where you're at at this very moment. Yeah, I'm in Denver. I'm a professor at Colorado Christian University. I teach communication courses. I'm actually the director of their public speaking programs. That's what I came to do. They're creating a speaking center, hopefully going to break ground this year, where we're hoping to be like a leading Christian institution in putting out excellent public speakers into the world because Christianity really needs better branding, right? So I am super passionate about this job and being here in Colorado and with these students, it's been teaching for me is the connection to everything else I've ever done. It's what makes all of my life make sense. My first class I ever taught, I think I was 22 years old. And I remember going into the, going to my car afterwards and just sobbing. Because I knew this is what God has called me to do for the rest of my life. This is what I was born to do. I would do it for free. Don't tell my boss wow. that, but I would do it for free. <laughs> I absolutely love college students. That age for me is, it's magnetic because they actually believe they can change the world. Mm. Nobody has told them they can't yet. Nobody's, you know, they haven't got passed up or looked over yet. They're not getting like cut down by their coworkers yet. So when they come up with ideas, they're often like, well, why can't we do it, Dr. Day? Why can't we? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, why, why can't we? Right? Because we get trained as adults to be told, no, 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 that's not going to work. And it's going to take so much time and you're never going to, they don't have that yet. So I love just like standing in a room of young people excited about Jesus Christ. Right. Who don't understand what they cannot do yet. That's so good. It's motivational, right? Like, you're right. We can do this. <laughs> so I kind of live in this space all the time yeah. of just believing anything can happen. That's awesome. And I think uh, cautions, I was talking to a friend this morning, there's such a, a prime kind of target audience that I don't know if we think about really intentionally when it comes to ministry, because they're at that transition point. You know, after you get out of college, like you're kind of set in stone, you know, like you have your trajectory, you probably have your family, like you're on a pretty solid path. And unless you're going through some major life crisis, a divorce, or just kind of something disastrous happens, like you're not going to have that same transitional point in your life. And that, and that there's so much that can be done right there at the crossroads of, of teaching college students. So Kendra, this is a whole other conversation, but can I just tell you, if there are any pastors listening, I do pastors training. It's the number one thing I tell pastors. When they say what their church can't do, it is probably because you don't have young people on your board and on your evangelism team. Mm. When I say the best thing I ever did, my husband's a pastor here in Denver. We came into a very broken church that was originally had like a thousand members and was down to like 200 members. Wow. We have had over a hundred not Adventists come to our Saturday night service within the first couple months that we did it. Wow. And it's not because I'm such an amazing speaker. I didn't speak. 
what I did was I got five college students and said, I want you to sing. I want you to do spoken word. I want you to give a sermon. And then they posted it all over their Instagrams and they invited all of their friends. And it has totally changed our church. We have got to start mobilizing young people because they, nobody has told them they can't yet. So they will go over to like the neighboring secular schools and just stand in the promenade and be like, Hey, we've got this awesome thing called Green Vision Church. Would you like to come? Wow. They are, they are the best. And I think the church has made a grave mistake in not giving them a seat at the table. Wow. And that's your passion. You know, you love young adult ministries. That's a huge conversation. Maybe we can, uh, we can tap. I want to tap into some of that because that's, that's so awesome. Uh, And so feel free to like sprinkle that in wherever, because I don't know what you know, and I'd I'd love for you to share it with our audience, but getting into your project, uh, you have a new book coming out and it's called, it's not your turn. Yes. Okay. It's called, it's not your turn. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about this and then tell us kind of the backstory into kind of how you got started on this project. Yeah. So it's funny because I had been trying to get a publishing deal with a major Christian publisher. I'd only been published within the Adventist church circles and I had wanted for like the last five years to be published by a major Christian publisher. And I really, since I was in seventh grade, sixth grade, maybe younger, Hmm. have always felt like, like the Holy Spirit said, this is what I've called you to do is write books. Like I've always believed that to be true. And then I kept getting rejection letters. Mm. Right. So it was hard to believe with all your heart that oh, God has called you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, like 12 years, I believed <laughs> right. yeah. for all these years, <laughs> I believed. And I, I mean, I was querying publishing companies and this is not a lie since I was 12 years old. I have been literally on this journey of just sending my stuff to people since I was 12. I I can remember um, writing books in high school. The first book I never, it's still not published, but I remember just sitting in like a history class and just writing on my paper. This is going to be a best-selling book. I just know it. Right. Wow. And so I kept getting rejected. It never happened. I got an agent. I said, this is it. I finally have a major Christian agent. It's a a pretty good agency. And we didn't know why I just wasn't getting deals. And what we kept hearing back was, tell Heather she needs to grow her platform. So if there's anybody listening who is in the writing community, you know this is something book publishers say all the time since social media. Why publish somebody who maybe will sell books when you can publish somebody who will absolutely sell books because they have an instant audience? And this is how it's changed because I've been through a couple of uh, Christian writers conferences and there's a, a guy, Alan Arnold, he talks about the creative process with God. And one thing that's been a challenge to the publishing, Christian publishing community is like, okay, like, are you going to publish somebody who's popular, the popular kid? Uh, or are you going to publish the person who's like a super deep thinker, but may not be the popular kid, but really has something to say? And the fact that publishing platforms aren't thinking in that way, they're not thinking to say, how can we get the best material, put it on a platform because it's so amazing, instead of thinking the business model of like, will this sell books because you are, you're already famous, right? So this is, this is the space that I sat in for the last five years was just why God and feeling so overlooked. I, I can tell you, I, I've saved them a bunch of my rejection letters, even from a couple of years ago. Um, I can remember one said everybody. So they're talking about the writing committee, the, the publishing committee. They said, everybody agreed that Heather is one to watch, but no, we're not publishing her right now. And I just remember reading that. And my agent was like, hey, this is good. Heather, we all agree Heather's one to watch. But it wasn't good for me. Right. Because I, I had grown up always feeling like I wasn't good enough. I had grown up always feeling like I was second. 
you know, like you're almost there, Heather, you have so much potential, but you're not quite, you know, that was the space I've lived so much in. And so here it was like written down for me in this email from a major publisher. And it just felt like, man, this is going to be my, it's going to be on my tombstone. That's what it's going to say. <laughs> Heather was one to watch. So that's how I felt. So anyway, I started, I think it was last year. Last year, let me tell you, I had a thousand followers, I think on my Twitter, I probably had 500 followers on Instagram and a few thousand on Facebook because I've had Facebook for a while. And so I started, I wanted to write this book called It's Not Your Turn. Mm. And it stemmed from this one conversation I had with one of my best friends. I was trying to get a job in academia, full-time academic job, and I couldn't get one. I was adjuncting for like five different schools and I couldn't get hired in full-time. And I was just so frustrated and poor. And I was saying to God, like, man, I did everything right. And I believed you had this calling on my life. And I stayed in school and I had a good GPA. I have never, I have never had a summer off. I didn't from 2005 all the way till I finished my PhD two years ago. I had never even had a summer. So I felt like, God, I have been so faithful to this. And I feel so overlooked and I can't even get a job. And I got a call from one of my best friends, Jewel Jones. Jewel, if you're watching this, it was you. Jewel called and she said, Heather, you're not going to believe it. I just got a job at NASA. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> that is awesome. So, so happy, happy for you. Yeah. I am so <laughs> happy. And I was happy for her, but I, I was so sad for myself. And I remember in that moment, like just trying to muster out the words, I am so happy for you with like tears starting to well in my own eyes. And I heard in my head, Heather, it's not your turn, but it's hers. And so clap for her, just clap for her. And so I really, I tried my best to clap for her, but that one little moment, yeah, <laughs> really small, one, that moment stuck with me for the next couple of years. Mm. And so as people around me, I felt like God was answering the prayers that I was praying for myself, but in their lives, I had to step back and say, you know what, I'm happy for you. And I, and God help me mean that. Help me really mean that I'm happy for somebody else because it's not about you. It's not your turn. We tell it to little kids. It's not your turn, right. but it's theirs. And so clap for them. And so what I've come to in these last five years is that who we are when it is not your turn is more important than who you will be when it is. Hmm. Wow. This is what God has led me to. And so it's funny. I put together this book. Last year, I can remember I got, I just saw it in my Bible because I wrote down the date. It was October 31st. I got a call from my agent last October, October 31st, 2019, that a major Christian publishing company had picked up my book. Wow. Wow. The, the <laughs> only book, the book that I could not have written had I not had gone through all these years of feeling like it's not me. It's not me. It's not, it's not my turn. Heather, you have so much potential. Wow. Right. So I'm just even more passionate about God redeeming these broken pieces. Of, you want to know what's funny, actually, Kendra? Okay. The first book I ever had published was about the biggest disappointment in my life. It's called Hook, Line, and Sinker. And it was about calling off my wedding two months before the wedding. Oh, wow. And that was the first book a publisher ever picked up. And it was an Adventist publisher. But like, so it's the second time that the book that gets published is the story I didn't want to write. Hmm. I didn't want to go through these experiences to be able to have this content. But right. that's apparently what other people needed. Right. No, and I, I think so. I mean, I I love that title because I think it's so relatable and just that journey of like, I think, especially if you're a creative, especially if God has put a dream upon your heart 
and to know what it's like to just long for that dream and to not see it come to pass, whether it's, you know, whether it's a creative dream, like wanting to be published or whether it's a relationship dream, wanting to be married or or wanting to have that kid, or just there's so many things in life that we long for that it's a lot of times it's not our time or it's not our turn. And it's so relatable, even for me when I'm thinking about my own ambitions for my own life or goals and things that I see for myself. And so I think the story of failure is the story that is sometimes the most inspirational to know, one, you're not alone, and two, that somebody has seen their way out of it. Let me say this. The book, It's Not Your Turn, I started writing it before I ever got a deal. Mm. So whatever that thing is for you, you do have to, what does David say? Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Sometimes nobody else is going to show up and say, Hey, it's going to happen for you. This is it. Sometimes you just have to believe it for yourself and put your toes in the water before it ever parts. Wow. And when I started writing that book, I didn't know I was going to get a deal. Right. And I told you I had a thousand followers on Twitter today. It's only been one year. I have over 33,000 followers on Twitter. Oh my God, that wasn't me. I couldn't have strategized that. So this is what I, over 10,000 people on Instagram. So it's like, over, uh, I think 200,000 almost on our blog. So it's like when it was my turn, God just went. Wow. He exploded it. But I had to first, I think, become the person that he needed me to be for when it was. And I wasn't that person. Mm. What? So tell me a little bit about even that, that blow up journey. Like was that, so that was all organic. That wasn't like, I did a very strategic advertisement. Like how did that happen? And, you know, I think you told me there was almost a period where you almost gave up before that that breakthrough, right? So with the blog, my friend, my best friend and I started a blog and we had been blogging for three years, twice, each of us writing twice a week, I think for three years. And we had at the end of three years, 9,000 followers, which I know for some people that's awesome. For us, it didn't feel, we were putting so much work in and we were just watching all these other big pages blow up. And I was like, man, like we, we, our content is so good. If somebody would just see it, 9,000 followers at three years, I, at the end of three years, I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I feel like it's taking all of my energy. I'm often just getting frustrated that I thought this was going to be something that doesn't seem like it's going to get there. And she said, can we just give this a few more weeks? Not months. She said, can we just give this a few more weeks? And I kid you not, probably within a week and a half of this conversation where I was ready to quit. Had she had, this is why it's good to talk to other people. Had she not talked me into staying, I probably would have just shut down the page and moved on and I would have never had this testimony. She yeah. said, let's give it a couple more weeks. Literally overnight, we had our first viral post and we went from 9,000 people to 20,000 people in like 48 hours. Wow. What was the post then, on? I, I don't even remember anymore. It was a, a meme. <laughs> yeah, we had written all these blogs for years. She makes a meme about dads, I think, and it just exploded. Got picked Ooh. up by Scary Mommy, all these sites with like a million followers and shared tons of times. And we had 20,000 followers overnight. Wow. Yeah. And then from there, now we're at like 160,000 people in one year. Three years, 9,000. In one year, 160,000 people. Wow. That's super crazy. And totally separate from each other was my Twitter and my Instagram because that those were on my personal account. My blog was on a totally separate, like branded account. It's called I'm that wife. Wow. That's incredible. And one, 
I'm mad that the meme made it, right? <laughs> right? But no, for anybody on the internet right now, make the memes. Okay. Make your own memes. That's, that's the, that is the, uh, the road to glory is me. It really is. Cause people want something really quick that they can read. So our blogs now really just supplement our memes. We have had viral blogs since then, but memes will go viral so much quicker than a blog because people don't want to read. This is so, okay. Thank you for letting me know. I want to be like making some memes tonight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use, I have an app called word swag. I know there's Canva people use that whatever your thought is, you just type it on a blank white screen, you know, on, on word swag, and then just sign it with whatever your handle is and put it out there and see what happens. That's how I blew up my, my own Instagram too, is I started taking my tweets and putting them on to Instagram and it, you'd think people would want pictures, not of my face. Apparently they wanted, they wanted the tweets, the tweets went, my pictures, save them, Heather, show us the tweets. That's so interesting. <laughs> I love this story because like I said, there's so many creatives out there, especially Christian creatives, right? Who, who feel like they have so much to share that's personal in their own journey and their walk with the Lord and it's precious and they're just lost on how to get started or um, how to really be a part of the digital community, right? And I think that's the next type of evolution the church has to take or us as individual members of the church. How do we evolve to bring content in this particular setting and age? And it's, it's not easy. Can we talk about that? Yes, please. Let's talk about it. I have thoughts. I, I want your thoughts. Well, all of them. <laughs> I think something, I won't speak for everybody, something that I know for a fact has worked for me really well is to be myself. Mm-hmm. I think oftentimes what Christians do is they try to sell online this Christian brand of themselves. And I have tried to not do that at all. I am really intentional about the same things that I would say to my friends if it's just her and I at a Starbucks is the same thing that I would tweet. And so you, you hear about my faith journey, but you also hear about my fight with my husband, right? Or mm-hmm. that I'm hiding from my children right now or whatever little things make me who I am. I share all of it. Yeah. And I have found that it's really attractive for Christians to be real people, mm. not sages on stages and not fortune cookies, not brands, but people. I think God is really attractive when he is seen through a person. You know, isn't that why Jesus came, right? To be God incarnate, to be human in that sense. And we spend all of our time trying to sterilize him. Yes. Wow. And try to make ourselves seem, you know, one of the blog posts that I wrote that went viral was called, Why Are Christians So Fake? It was like me writing just about all about me and my husband screaming at each other in the driveway, right? Like just all the honest moments. Cause I I'll follow like, um, Christian influencers. And I, this is this one girl, I won't say who, but like, she just, she put put the other day, like, you know, I'm just going to be real and tell you guys that I'm not perfect. I eat fast food. Oh my gosh. Right. And I was like, that's the imperfection. (laughs) That's the problem. Right. Because I'm looking at myself and I know I've got way bigger problems. Yeah. Right. So then I think what happens is often normal everyday people are like, then God, he's not going to be interested in me and all my problems. Right. I'm not struggling over fast food right now. I'm struggling over not cursing out my husband right now. So where's the God that can step into this? And I think we need more Christians to just be honest about where they are in the journey. Yeah. And it's, it's so, you know, I just think how the culture of the church has placed us in this bind, right? This sense of 
needing to dress ourselves up, give ourselves the best presentation, uh, making sure that we're kind of tying up our loose ends that nobody can say anything bad about us. Like that has, that culture is really backfiring when it comes to reaching the actual world, right? And I think that that's, that's unfortunate, you know, like it really is uh, that we create a culture where we're afraid to be authentic because we're afraid to be judged or afraid that we're not, we're going to be perceived not as Christian. It's a, it's hard, but I think what you're saying is so important because even people who are not Christians, if they have an expectation of Christians should be acting in perfection, right? Um, I think that it's good to just see like, no, Christians aren't perfect. There's only one who is perfect and we all hide under that grace. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'll say this too, and then we can change the subject, but I don't just say God is good. Mm. I believe it. Mm. Like I, I am, I'm all in on the yeah. fact that God is good mm. and he is hope in my hopelessness. I, I would not be sitting here right now if it was not for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I could get into more of my story, but he has literally changed my life. And I think there's something too about looking somebody in the eyes who's not guessing and who tells you, I am telling you, he has changed. It's going to make me cry. Mm. He has changed my life. There is something attractive about that. And so I think also if we're struggling to make a connection between God, this is communication, relationship building between a target market and the organization that you're trying to, or the organization that you're representing in the target market that you're trying to reach. I think a lot of Christians don't really believe it. Mm. Because when I love something, I'll tell everybody about it. And I just read a study that said, I think it's 98% of Christians never invite somebody to church in a given year. 98% of Christians never invite somebody to the most, the best thing that's ever happened to you. You don't tell anybody about that. Yeah. Sis, I love (laughs) Chick-fil-A. Okay. I love Chick-fil-A. Right. I, my, every student that has ever sat in my class this last year knows if you ask them, what's something about Dr. Day? She loves Chick-fil-A. I talk about it all the time. Mm. When you go to Chick-fil-A and you order a five piece nugget, how many nuggets are in your box? Seven, eight, 10. They're always giving extra helpings and blessings at Chick-fil-A. They want to anoint your life, right? They are always giving, (laughs) they are always going above and beyond. I tell everybody I love Chick-fil-A. If I am telling more people about Chick-fil-A than Jesus Christ, what do I believe in more? The reality is I think a lot of us are talking about a God that we don't really even believe in because the stats say we're not inviting anybody to our churches. Right. To me, that's a disconnect. I think it has to do with what we're talking about though. You know, I think a lot of people are embarrassed of their churches to be honest with you. I know this is like not totally on topic, but like it, it, I think, you know, people are embarrassed to say, I know that if I'm bringing my friend who's not perfect and wears jewelry and has low cut, you know, shirts and shorts, like that they're going to be judged in this environment. And maybe there's not a lot of healthy churches where people feel comfortable inviting people who are non-Christians to. And I think that's very sad, right? Yeah. And so let's stop waiting for our pastors to save our friends. Nobody is more better positioned to talk to your friend about God than you. Right. Right. So let's have them over to our houses and have conversations about the best thing that's ever happened to you. Yep. House churches, you know, house churches. Yeah. 
<laughs> Especially in COVID, right? Like I, I can see that being where we transition to. Yeah, no, absolutely. Small groups. I think people want more of an intimate experience anyway. I am curious. Okay. So maybe you do want to talk about this. Maybe you don't. I can cut this out. Uh, your first book, your first book that got published. I am a little bit curious about this story. Like how did... One, I just think you're an exceptional human being. Um, just the fact that you have been consistent uh, through the... I think that's a lesson too that I'm learning uh, in my life. Like if you're just consistent in anything, at some point the door is going to blow open, right? And I hope you guys heard what she just said because I really think that is the truth. Yeah. And and you have demonstrated that, right? Like three years, you know, uh, even writing this blog, you know, two, three times a week, you are blowing through school, you know, for like what is it? 13 years? years a long right? time. I don't know. Too many years. <laughs> Too many years of my life. I prefer to forget. And that, and that's remarkable though, because that's a character trait that you can't develop any other way, like this consistency. So one, I think that you're super remarkable in that, but, but the character for you to say it's two months before my wedding, I've made all of these commitments, all of these promises. And for you to say, I'm backing out. I'm just a little bit curious about that story. Do you want to know the story? It's kind of a, it's going to take a second. I want to know. Yes, please. We have, we have time. (laughs) So my parents were going out of town. I was living with my parents 20. I must've been, yeah, I was 22 years old. My parents were going out of town and my dad said out of the blue, never had my dad said one negative thing about my fiance. And all of a sudden he goes, Heather, I have a bad feeling and I want you to just make sure you've really prayed about this. Mm. And I was like, I am very close with my parents. I was never I got expelled from school. So I obviously had problems in, as a child and stuff, but never did I not respect my parents. And my, I always listened because nobody sweats over you and prays over you more than your parents in a healthy situation, right? right? I had a healthy family life. So if my parents said, I want you to pray about this, to me, that was like God himself saying, I want you to think about this. I take everything they say very seriously. And so they left and I got in my little bed at my parents' house. And I said, God, I can still remember. I said, God, this is the person I have chosen. If this is not the person that you have chosen for me, will you please end it? Because I don't think I can. And within, I am not kidding you, five, 10 minutes of saying that prayer, my phone rang and it was my incredible fiance and he was calling to break up with me. What? We had not fought that day. We picked out wedding invitations. Nothing had happened except for the fact that I had said this prayer. And so he broke up with me. I hang up the phone and I'm sobbing in my room. And I didn't call my parents because I was, I just wasn't ready to let it be real. I didn't call my best friends because they had just spent $200 on bridesmaid dresses that they wouldn't be wearing. (laughs) But I just laid in my bed and I called out to God. I could see my wedding dress because it was hanging over um, in my closet. And I just said to God, have mercy on me. Just have mercy on me. And again, my phone rang. And I thought, this is my fiance. And he's calling to say, I don't know what that was. I'm so sorry. That was stupid. Let's get back together. But I knew God had answered my prayer, so I wasn't going to do it. So my phone rings and I answer the phone and it's not my fiance. It's Seth Day. Hmm. Pause the story. Seth Day was my boyfriend in sixth grade. And actually in my diary at at sixth grade, I wrote at 11 years old, as I was pitching all these publishing companies, I also wrote, one day I will marry Seth Day. 
No way. <laughs> I loved him. I was obsessed. Okay. I loved him. His family, we dated, we were like boyfriend and girlfriend in sixth grade and seventh grade. And then in seventh grade, his mother finished her program at Andrews university. Cause I lived in Berrien Springs and she, they moved away and I never saw him again. And I always wondered what happened to him. Then my sophomore year of college, my mom calls me, my mom used to be the financial aid director for Andrews university. And she says, Heather, you are not going to believe who was just in my office. And I'm like, who? She goes, Seth Day from sixth grade, and he's really cute. Okay. And so I wrote a note to him to, that my mom was to give to him, which is very weird. I know, never do this. But I wrote a note that said, hey, it's Heather from sixth grade. <laughs> you should totally call me sometime. Love to hang out. And I gave it to my mom, and she gave it to him, and then he never called me. Mm. And the next day or two days later, something like that, I saw him walking across Andrews University campus with this beautiful blonde girl holding hands. And I was like, oh, he has a girlfriend, like so embarrassing. So I met somebody else. I got engaged. Now we're talking two years later. I'm two months before my wedding. I pray this prayer. He breaks up with me. I'm laying in my bed crying. My phone rings after I pray, God, please just have mercy on me. And it's Seth Day from sixth grade. What? That's crazy. And he says, I have no idea why I'm calling you right now. I saved that little note you gave me. And he had had it for two years. And he said, I was just checking in. And I'm like, will you come down tomorrow? I was having a, no, no, no. I told him what had happened. And he said, would you like me to come down tomorrow? And I said, yeah. And he, and I've been with him ever since. Wow. That is a fantastic story. Isn't it crazy? I'm going to start praying. Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, I see what you have done for others. Uh, That's the prayer. That's the prayer. You know what? Let me say this for anybody listening. (laughs) I did not know this until I ended my engagement because people, I was in an abusive relationship and didn't know it Hmm. because I was always doing what he had asked. And the second I did not, cause he did call back, I think like two days later, one day later and tried to get back together. And I don't know why I did that. And I said that I wasn't going to, at this point, Seth and I were just friends, but then, um, within weeks of me not answering his phone calls and taking space, it got very scary. And long story short, I filed a restraining order, which was granted. And I literally believe had God not intervened in the way he did and with the person he did, because it wasn't just like this random guy. It was this person that I had loved in sixth grade. And I had already written in my diary. I want to marry him. It felt very much like God had stuck his hand in my life. Mm. And so I didn't go back, even though sometimes I wanted to. And I, I really think God saved my life by intervening in the way he did. I'm saving part two of this conversation for next week, where we explore the meaning of integrity and what it means to live a life where we show up even when no one is watching. We want to thank the Adventist Learning Community for making this program possible, as well as our guest, Dr. Heather Thompson Day. You can follow her at her Instagram or Twitter handle at Heather Thompson Day. If you're not already following us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, be sure to do so at the handle at Advent Next. See you next week.